I'm Thule. I'm a missionary kid. Uh, my parents met in Swaziland in Africa. If you've ever heard of that, well done. Your geography is better than most. Um, and I grew up in Birmingham. No whoops. <laughs> Um, from the age of seven, so I am a West Midland girl, but living in London and have done and absolutely loving London. That's where I'm based now. Right, we're going to do something really interesting today. Um, when you look at the life of Jesus, you often look, let me move this away so that people over there can see more than just a mic. It's all about me. Um, when you look at the life of Jesus, you think, okay, let's look at his miracles, let's look at his teachings, let's look at all of that. But, 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 but. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. Did you know that? And then, you know, hung around for three years and then died. We know that as well. And then rose to life again. But there was, there was three years is, the, is what we mostly look at, don't we, in the Bible, at the life of Jesus. There's 30 years that we kind of, except at Christmas time, when we look at his birth, skip over. And that's because there's really not a lot to look at. However... There is one incident, one instance, in that all four of Jesus' biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is what we call them, mention. One instance before he launches into his ministry. Um, And that's what we're going to be looking at, that one instance. But, um, so he kicks off at 30, but this happens before he's 30. So I thought, everyone stand up. Okay, if you are under 30, it is guaranteed that you are either Gen Z or on the cusp of being a millennial. I am full millennial, like a lot of people who are over 30 in this room. But have any of you ever done put your finger down quizzes on TikTok and Reels? So I've only ever seen them when they've made it from TikTok onto Instagram because I don't do TikTok like most of my age. But we're going to do put your finger down. The premise is you hold out your hands. I'm going to read a statement and if it lines up with you and you're like, yes, that is me, you put a finger down. And the idea is the more fingers come down, the more Gen Z you are, right? Are we ready? Are we ready? There may be people with 10 fingers up at the end of this. So, so. Okay, you have to listen. Put your finger down if you watched Balamori as a kid. Yes. <laughs> All right, right, right. Next one, put your finger down if you had a mobile phone before 13 years old. Before you were 13, you had a mobile phone. All right. Put a finger down. If you know what SMH stands for. What it means, what SMH stands for. Alright. Put a finger down. If you've if you know what Mr. Beast does for a living. Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast. Okay. Put your finger down if you've ever asked your parents for a pair of Heelys. All right, next one. Put your finger down if you've ever watched an Alvin and the Chipmunks film in the cinema. All right, put a finger down if you've had a Snapchat account. Yes, put a finger down if you know how. I 
if you've ever used sus in a sentence. <laughs> All right, and lastly, put a finger down if you learned how to use a touch screen before a keyboard. No. Okay. Okay, hands up if you have at least two fingers down. Down. Yep. Hands up if you've got three. Four, five, we've got some millennial dropouts now, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, any tens? Oh my goodness, that's a real Gen Zer over there, amazing. Alright, grab your seats, grab your seats. Um, Okay. Now, any ideas why this event is called Scent? Any ideas? Because you're going to be sent. What does that even mean? Where? Sent to what? To Japan? To Africa? To school? What? What are we sending you to? To the world? To the generations? Yeah, I think you're on the right track. We call this thing sent because you are a generation that we believe is God is calling, like all generations before you, to go and live lives where you're witnesses of what he's done in your life. And so what is good, or what has scared the, a lot out of me, is the idea of that, of going out and being a witness. That terrifies me. I don't know if it's with you guys, but when I was in my 20s, the idea of going out and, and being a witness was absolutely terrifying and completely wrong. I'd got it completely wrong because I didn't have some integral building blocks in place that Jesus had before he was launched at 30 into ministry. So that's what we're going to look at. The three building blocks that hopefully you will all get in place before you are then sent from Sizewell into the world. <laughs> um, so, backstory. Um, a few weeks ago, London got snow. I know the rest of you didn't all get snow, but we got proper snow. And one of my housemates absolutely loves snow. I also love snow, but from inside the house. She loves it outside the house and she wanted to build a snowman and because I love her more than I love the inside of the house I said okay let's go build a snowman and what we wanted to do was build it so that it was it peaked over the wall and our neighbors could see it so it had to be tall um, and we had this little um, garden table and we like well if we build it on that then we already have a good two feet and then we don't have to re- cheating whatever um, it's not it's just a snowman there's no rules um, and so we started to build so we built this snowman gave it a big smile we had some peppers that we'd grown that we used as the buttons and we had a real carrot that we stuck in its nose gave it a massive smile and you could see it over the wall um, and it looked absolutely brilliant voila done the next day we open our curtains and absolute disaster it had fallen and it was leaning against the wall why? The table just wasn't the right building block. Right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a, so that is just a simple illustration to tell you that if the building blocks are missing or crooked, anything you build on top of it is not going to go straight. If you do not have the building blocks that Jesus did before he launched into ministry, you might end up with a very crooked looking life. No one wants that. 
So, we're going to look at this. Uh, we're going to do a group work again. So you're going to get into groups of three. It doesn't have to take long. Don't worry about who it is. And up on the screen, three of these are going to come up. Divvy them out amongst yourselves and read them. Five minutes. Go. That's hilarious. I can take it. <laughs> That's what my mum would do. I'm just trying to bring a bit of Everyone's Thank you. All right, start reading if you haven't already. One more minute. Just reading it. 30 more seconds. If you're done, fingers on lips. <laughs> Guys, it's just the parkour flooring, that's what it is. Okay, are we good? Alright. Excellent. So you, you all read an account. This was before Jesus went out and did anything. But the, all the biographers of Jesus felt this is important enough to mention. So that's what we're going to look at. We're looking at three key building blocks that are part and parcel of these accounts. Repentance, the Holy Spirit, and God's pleasure. Right. Okay, so background. John rocks up. Who is John? If you have read any of the stories over Christmas, you'll know that there was this really old couple, Elizabeth and Zacharias, um, before Jesus was born. And an angel rocked up and said, you're going to have a son. And they did, and his name was John. And he was prophesied to be a man who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah, who is Jesus, as we've read. And um, 
he is calling the Israelites to repent and be baptized. That is what he's doing when we jump into this story. And Jesus rocks up to be baptized by John. Um, And we're going to look at repentance first. What does it mean? I want you to turn to your neighbor and in three words, just share what you think repentance means. What does that mean to you? Go. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Excellent, thank you. Right, so a lot of us can think of repentance as feeling sorry for something you've done. Yeah, is that one of the things that came up? We think there's a lot of emotion to, to, that comes into it. And that's true, but it can be misleading to think it's all about feelings. For example, sometimes we feel embarrassed because we got caught doing something bad. That's not necessarily repentance. Sometimes we feel ashamed because we think we could have done better. It's a feeling, but is it repentance? Sometimes we feel bad because someone else was hurt by what we did. Is that repentance? Or is it just feeling? So there are lots of feelings we could associate with repentance, but are they repentance? Right, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which is going to appear magically on the screen. Um, great. Really, magic. Thank you. Um, this is what it says. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death it seems like it might be important to know what repentance is right so um it says there is grief so there's an emotion involved but it produces repentance it isn't repentance see that the feeling isn't repentance apparently it produces repentance so what is it producing let's have a look have you ever played grandmother's footsteps before the idea someone has their back turned at the other side of the room everyone else is over there and they're trying to as grandmotherly I suppose as quietly as they can get from one side of the room to the other and then the minute that person turns around you have to freeze otherwise you're sent back and you have to start from the front you win if you get to the top end first so I love a good game but that is boring that's dull I love to add a bit of chaos to games because otherwise what's the fun in it so let's imagine you play grandmother's footsteps but in this game you're completely focused on the other person of the room but 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 if I were in charge as I've said I would mix it up again a bit for example let's just say at the other end of the room is someone you really admire musician I don't know what it is just choose someone and if you get to the other end you get to spend the rest of your life hanging out with them you get access to them the IP you got their phone number in your pocket you can be like yeah yeah I can phone up whoever whenever I want to your friends that'd be really cool okay that's the reward eternity with that person but they are they're in the audience who are watching this game I've given them nerf guns I've put slime pits out in front of you. There's tunnels full of spiders that you would have to crawl through. Sounds fun, right? (laughs) And then also, also, cute puppies. Really cute little puppies. If you fall over and trip, they lick your face. How about that? Okay, but if that is the reward, none of this will distract you from getting there first, right? cutest things in the world the most horrible things in the world the nerf guns the the 
like the crazy praises of your audience, whatever it is, nothing will stop you. You are focused on getting to that person at the other end of the room. Okay. This will all make sense. In Genesis, we've read the story of Adam and Eve and their betrayal. So a quick refresher. God's created a world, puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and it is good. It is good. It is beautiful and good. Adam and Eve enjoy a closeness with God that is just crazy. They walk with God in a garden and they have the freedom to do whatever they like except eat from one tree. They can eat anything else but one tree they're not allowed to. God says don't eat from that one tree. Then in Genesis 3 we read a serpent more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made said to the woman did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Short conversation later and the world is devastated for good. Eve picks the fruit and eats it. But what led to that point? In verse 6 we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Every thought she had was around the fruit and what she was going to get from it. Her focus had dropped from eternity with the person at the other end of the room to something in the room. The cute puppies or the slime pit or whatever it is. But in this case, it was fruit and being wise and being like God. So Adam and Eve's focus was turned away from God and turned towards themselves. In an instant, that beautiful relationship was broken. They were kicked out of the garden to not walk with God in the same way anymore and there was no way for them to undo the wrong now another story has anyone heard of the term Karen anyone know who a Karen is or what a Karen is a Karen yes Karen I don't know shall I say it differently Um, so a Karen is someone who gets offended by the smallest thing it's like they walk into a restaurant and they are determined to find something to get really angry about they're either nearly angry or ready to get angry or they are seething raging furious and calling for your manager that is basically a Karen they have a way over the top reaction to their salad being a degree too warm way way too over the top reaction and sometimes we have this idea in our heads that God is a bit like a Karen He is either angry or looking for something to get angry about. Sometimes we feel that way. We feel like he is just really easily offended. We look in the Bible and we're like, you know, the... the the, the, the Israelites are doing something really well and then like the next minute they're doing something really bad and boom, it seems like God's like, ugh. What we don't get sometimes when we read the Bible is we sometimes cover a hundred years in five minutes of reading. And it feels like God just loses his top really quickly. But actually... God, rather than being a Karen who over the top reacts and reacts really fast, he is really, really slow to anger. Slow to anger. That's one of the ways he describes himself in the Bible. I am slow to anger. He is not a Karen. He is patient. He is kind. He is not screaming to the manager the minute you do anything wrong. He is not looking for a way to catch you out. Instead, he is giving us this beautiful, beautiful thing called repentance because he wants us to live. He wants to avoid sin destroying our lives. The other problem with seeing God as a Karen is because we start to think that his feelings about us are dependent on how we're acting. It becomes all about us. 
if I'm doing well, then God's going to be pleased with me. If I'm not doing well, then God's not going to be pleased with me. Okay, it's all about what I do. What do we know about the gospel? Who is it about? It's about what Jesus did. So the minute we start getting this thing into our head of God is like constantly just angry and he's reacting to everything we're doing, we forget the power of the blood of Jesus, permanent, permanent power of blood of Jesus to break off the sin and the death that is just, we got caught up in and to make us new. He has put a cloak over you of righteousness and it cannot be taken off. It cannot be taken off. God is not angry with you anymore. The Bible says the wrath of God was satisfied in the death of Jesus. The wrath of God is gone. There is no Karen God and there never was. And if you are in, in your mind thinking of God as a Karen, you're worshipping a false God. And you can be free from that and that's a beautiful thing. Instead we have a God who, uh, let's get the Ezekiel 30 verse up please. He said this to the Israelites. Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. This is our good, good God who says there is sin and it will bring you to ruin. But there is repentance and there is a way out. He is that beautiful. It's a beautiful gift. So how would I describe repentance? Some of you I heard use the word turning. Well done. Repentance. Often in the Bible, you look at, you just Google search repentance in your Bible or repent, and it will often say repent and turn, repent and turn, repent and turn. They seem to be two halves of the same coin. Repent and turn away from your sins or repent and turn to God. That seems to be the way. It's always turning either away from sin and to God or to God, away from sin. That's how it works. So, We have it that in Adam and Eve, a good world was corrupted by evil and the evil cycles continued. We see it in this day and age. We are either the perpetrators or the recipients or the onlookers of evil. Everywhere we go, everywhere we look, humanity turned away from God. And in it, the sin and evil entered and we are in that horrible cycle. So what have we got? We've got a beautiful gift called repentance. Let's have a look at what it actually means. So repentance, um, as we saw in the verse just before this, if we can pop that up again, I think it's two Corinthians, that one leads to salvation without regret. Isn't that amazing? Repentance isn't just turning to him. It is a doorway to salvation. It's all about focusing on God again, that whole grandmother's footstep story where nothing else will cause you to turn away from him. You are turned and focused and fixed on getting to that end of the room to find God. The doorway to salvation is not by performance, but by positioning. Get that? It's about a turning where you are positioning yourself, turning to God and away from sin, not about what you do. Remember, Jesus had yet to start his ministry. This was a building block before he started doing things. Okay, Before any healing happened, he was showing through this baptism that he had a position facing towards God. Repentance is a good thing. It is a beautiful gift because without it, we're all hurtling towards death, eternal separation from God. Right, so what does turning look like? Matthew 3 verse 8 is going to magically pop up on the screen as well. Um, That's it. 
All right, this is what John says. He says, repent, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is fruit? Fruit is the outward um, fruit of inward working of a tree or a bush or a plant, whatever produces fruit. Fruit is what comes out of what's happened on the inside, right? So it says, prove, this is NLT, which is a nice helpful way to say it, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. So yes, it's a repositioning, but there should be fruit as a result of this repositioning. There should be something that comes out of what's happened internally. Let's not get it the other way around. It's not about doing something outward and then you're repenting. It's about something that happens here first, repositioning, and then it produces fruit in keeping repentance. Repentance starts with repositioning, but it always leads to fruitfulness, a new kind of fruit. All right, the other thing repentance is, it is God-focused. Let's get that um, 2 Corinthians verse up again, please. Um, So it talks about godly grief, godly grief. It is focus on God. See, there's worldly grief. Some of us feel sad by what we've done, but it doesn't change anything. That repositioning hasn't happened. That's often what we get in, I mean, how many Instagram and Twitters and whatever have you watched where some influencers had to apologise for something. And you know, it's nice that they've said that, but the next minute they're just going to do whatever they want to do. It doesn't produce any kind of lasting fruit or change. That is not repentance. That is a worldly grief that produces death, which is frightening and awful. Okay, let's look. In Acts, Peter preaches a storm of a sermon. He's just been baptised in the Spirit and he goes from being someone who denies Jesus to someone who can preach to thousands. And he says, I think you'll have it on the screen as well, Acts 2 or 4 or 3 or something. That's it, that's it. You got it, you got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's read it out. So therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. It is focused on Jesus. Look at this. Peter tells them, This is Jesus, whom you crucified. And what do they do? They were cut to the heart. Godly grief, repentance, is in Jesus. It starts with Jesus. The acknowledgement that this beautiful king who didn't do a single thing wrong but came and died on our behalf and bore all that anger and wrath that was ours, deservedly so, on our behalf that we might never, never know the wrath of God and the judgment of God. It's a grief that recognises God is a faithful king and sees that we have betrayed him and it's a grief over the ultimate result beautiful Jesus nailed to the cross God himself alone and friendless in a world of sinful self-centered people hanging on a tree dying and yet still to the very end loving us who never deserved it our forgiveness our salvation came at that cost that's a high cost and that's where godly grief starts that's where repentance continues and comes out of Now, it's important to say, did Jesus need to repent? Did he rock up because he needed to repent? No. Good. I'm so glad someone said that. Jesus did not sin. He did not sin. And and those of you who had the Matthew passage, you will have read out, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus answered, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So in order... To take our place on the cross, face the punishment we deserved, 
God required a perfect human to represent us and Jesus needed to become like us and identify with all that it meant to be human. Now let's think of the politicians of today to help us ground. Oh, sorry. What that means. Some of our frustrations with politicians is that they are people who seem completely out of touch with what daily living looks like. They are the people with second homes. (laughs) What is one of that? I don't know what a second home is. Um, They're people who are meant to represent us, but they don't know the first thing about what it is to live our lives. It can be really frustrating sometimes when we have those RMPs who are saying things that don't line up with who we are. But... The opposite is true in Jesus. Jesus came, I think we read out the Hebrews passage where it says he came, he faced temptations just as we did. He lived the life just like we did so that he could represent us before, the, before God on the cross and now in, in heaven. It's amazing. Okay, so repentance is the first building block. We're going to speed through the next two. That was the longest one I want to spend time on. Repentance is living lives turned away from sin, repositioned, turned towards God that are powerful witnesses to a world that, is, that only knows worldly grief that leads to death. Powerful witnesses. That is the first building block of people who are sent. We're going to live... When you're repositioned, your life is bizarre to the rest of the world. God focus is a weird thing. Self-focus is normal. But a life repositioned based on God. Okay, next. What happens next? For people who are sent. So in the passage we read, and when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now there's a million preachers you could preach on the Holy Spirit and I'm not qualified or have the time to do that. So I'm going to say just simply, in the New Testament we often see repentance and the anointing of the Spirit come hand in hand. You had it in the Acts uh, passage that we read when Peter said to them, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift and in repenting that beautiful intimacy with God the walking in the garden that Adam and Eve lost, we get back. We get to walk with God. That's astounding. We're not just repositioning, but actually God just is walking beside us now. We don't even need to walk towards him because he's with us. We can, wherever we go, when we reposition, when we repent, we've got God with us right there. So it's not really hard to look too far to find him and to know what it is to live his way. But the Spirit is also an empowering, which we know, having listened to those amazing stories like, like, uh, like we heard last night. The Holy Spirit empowers when God himself is with us. Wherever we go, we're going to live lives that are not just God-focused, but supernatural. Supernatural. Believe it. So Acts 10, 37, 38 says... You yourselves know, it may be on the screen, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is another building block, the Holy Spirit, so that we not only are repositioned and God-focused, but we have a supernatural power to start bringing change to the world around us. All right, 
Finally, God's pleasure. I said I'd speed through. Let's backtrack. Okay, at this moment in time, like I said, Jesus hadn't done anything. He'd not healed a single person. He had not done any signs of wonders. He'd not even done a preach. And yet, we have this line, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Well pleased. I mean, well pleased. (laughs) This is like real good, good pressure. One of the greatest struggles that I've had, and I still have as an older child who is very performance-driven, is what is believing that people are pleased with me before I've done anything worthy of it. I think it's one of my greatest struggles, and some of you in this room may also know that same struggle. It's like, sure, I know you love me for who I am, But when I'm being grumpy and selfish and a bit irritating, I'm sure you don't quite love me as much as you would have done. But when I'm doing really well, you do. But remember now, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Remember? The cloak of righteousness comes on. It's permanent. That's what he sees. He sees righteousness whenever he looks at you. That is really, really pleasing to to God. But But also, he made good things. In Genesis, he made good things. It says, he knitted to you together in your mother's room. He makes good things. He cannot not make good things. You are good in his sight. Whether you've been corrupted by sin, not yet a believer or a believer, whatever it is, you are a good workmanship. He wants the best for you, obviously. He doesn't want you to stay where you are if you're a sinner and if you're plagued by the death and whatever, but... He loves and is pleased with his created works. You are that. Now, there's an account in the Bible where the disciples of Jesus... I'm going to tell you there. This is story time. Story time. Story time. So, in the Bible, there's this random story. The disciples have been approached by a guy whose child is demonized, and they're like, cast out the demon. The disciples try and try and try, and nothing happens. Jesus comes along and goes, out, and the demon goes. The disciples are like, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Because they've done it before, so it's not like... They didn't know how to do it. And he says this random line, which you can find in certain translations, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. And they're like, okay, great. So I'm going to tell you a story. So there was a pastor once who was called out to a woman's house. She was oppressed by evil spirits. And he'd been called to ask, he'd been asked to pray for her deliverance. He's praying over the woman. He's casting out the demons. He's using all the words in the name of Jesus come out. Yet the demon in the woman continues to seethe and shriek. Finally, the demon through the woman says, you can't cast me out because I can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. And the pastor is temporarily at a loss. What do I do? I haven't fasted today. What do I do? So how is he going to cast out the demon? Then the Holy Spirit gives him an idea. And he says, okay, I haven't prayed and fasted, but Jesus has. So by the prayer and fasting of Jesus, I cast you out. And the demon goes. Demon goes. We live a life hidden in Jesus. In every way. He's not just given us his righteousness, but the life he lived is the life we can now live. We might not have prayed and fasted, but he has. We don't have a powerful name, but we use his all the time, don't we? In the name of Jesus, I command you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, we are using his name. And in the same way, we are hidden with Christ. So don't be surprised that Father is really pleased with you. Because you look like Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
you look like Jesus, you wear his face, you wear his actions, you have in him lived the perfect life. Absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. We can be assured of the Father's good pleasure. In Psalm 18 it says, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. If you're here today, saved by Christ, it's because he delighted in you. Delights in you. Think back to the beginning of creation. In the beautiful world, he created all things and they were good. God is happy with his creation. He is happy with you. You are, get this, you're a source of joy to Jesus. (laughs) He looks at you and he's just like, oh, oh, (laughs) just love staring at them. They're beautiful faces. They're so wonderful. This is the third building block. Before you launch into the world of sent people, be assured God is pleased with you. Before you've done anything, God is pleased with you. Before you've preached a single word, before you've said to your best mate you believe in Jesus, before you've done anything to make a difference in the world, God is pleased with you. That is your starting point. That is your starting point. And that is your ending point, and that is everything in between. So, recap. I think there's a screen maybe for this. Repentance, repositioning your life, turning away from sin and towards God. The Holy Spirit empowerment boom (laughs) keep going you'll get there eventually we've gone through that and all the rest holy spirit is empowering the holy spirit empowering to not just be repositioned but to live a powerful life and to have god with us Amazing. And God's pleasure, your starting point before you accomplish anything, God is pleased with you. All right. We're going to go into a time of response. That's where I finished up. And there are numerous ways I know that God will be working in people's hearts. Um, one of them, for some of us, do you remember we sang that song earlier? And yeah, really grateful to Sam for bringing it up that I've decided to follow Jesus. What are the next lines? No turning back no turning back but I feel like some of us we're living a life where Jesus is an option so long as he's so long as it goes well for us but we still have it in the back of our minds oh I might turn back it's not a permanent turning we haven't repositioned and decided whether we face rejection heartache pain hunger even in turning to Jesus we're going to stick with it We haven't decided in our hearts that when it gets confusing or when it gets hard or when Jesus isn't answering my prayers, like he says, or when the Bible's not lining up with what I'm experiencing, we haven't decided in our heart no turning back. We are still looking to turn back to worldly ways and sinful ways. Look at this in the Israelites. They turn to God and then the rains don't come and they're like, but there's a rain God. Say, turn to the rain God to start praying for rain from someone who cannot offer it. The Israelites were known for not being turning permanently, repositioning people. There are some of us who need to decide we're not making a half turn and we're not making a temporary turn. This is the day we are turning for good and our hearts are repositioning towards God. The eternal reward of being with God forever, we've decided it doesn't matter what puppies come our way, good things, slime pits, bad things come our way, God God, God, God. This is um, incredible. I don't know if you've heard of the Puritans. They're these old school Christians back in the day who were really known for being quite very prayerful people. They would often pray for the gift of tears. 
the gift of a godly grief, the gift of really encountering what it meant, what it cost Jesus to do what he did, to sacrifice what he did. And I know, I know in my heart, I've, I've prayed, I've sung several songs about, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and he's never touched me. I've been able to sing them and be like, oh yes, thank you Lord for what you did. But there's been other times where I've sung songs and it's just hit me. The Holy Spirit's just put a godly grief in me where I've been like, oh wow, what I've done really did so much, so much. It caused so much. Um, and Jesus had to pay a really high price for what I did. Um, oh, I can't remember. Remind me of, there's a hymn where it says, you know, I heard my mocking voice in the crowds. I remember singing that at age 13 and suddenly just being rocked by grief. My mocking voice in the crowd, looking at Jesus on the cross and still mocking him. Ah, oh, what are you? Get down from that cross. Save yourself. And, and those, that beautiful word, that beautiful line in that song hit me for the first time. Some of us need to pray for the gift of tears to really start feeling what it was that God did. Because that, that godly grief leads to repentance that leads to salvation. Who wants salvation? more and more and more and and I feel like repentance is a one-time thing but then that conviction and that just repositioning happens again and again in small ways as God reveals to us this is an area where you're still turned back okay I'm turning that towards you okay next one some of us well baptism repent and be baptized I didn't go into baptism very much but that's come up that comes up every time if you haven't been baptized yet why not why not just you know in your hearts maybe it's a good time to ask why am I not baptised there may be various sticky reasons that you can go through with people who are in your church and can help you work out but it says repent and be baptised that's the command that's the command baptism is really important it's not just a symbol there is something in it that is more than just symbolic that is powerful Holy Spirit some of us came forward last night for the anointing of the Spirit. You remember the prayer that the Hebrideans were praying. There was one that saying, come and visit us. Come and visit us. Some of us, you know, we want to see, we want to be filled with the Spirit, with power. For the first time, some of us want to be filled freshly. Some of us want the Spirit to come in a major way amongst our student groups or our youth groups or our small groups or our churches we want to say come Holy Spirit and visit us that might be something that some of you are really feeling a burden for and then some of you really struggle with the idea that God's baseline attitude towards you is pleasure that he really likes you it's really hard to believe that first thing in the morning and last thing at night no matter how the day went God is pleased with you we are a performance driven people we treat people according to how they act around us or how they don't act around us and we believe God treats us in the same way God is not like us praise God we need to pray for freedom from the lie that God is only only loves us and is pleased with us by what we do it's a lie from the devil then finally some of you have these building blocks in place praise God and it's now time to be launched now time to step out and ask God what is it that you're calling me to right I'll probably need some help from some of the uh, the grown-ups in the room the ones that still had 10 fingers up at the beginning um, but what we're going to do if you are someone who is thinking I'd re- godly grief that's something I really want I would suggest this is something to do on your own to start with 
just start praying, God, give me the gift of tears. Give me the gift of really experiencing what it means to grieve over my sin, what it means to grieve and to come into repentance. Some of you um, who want to just, yeah, make that decision freshly, that alone decision, like we learned yesterday, I'm turning and it's permanent. No turning back. I might stumble. I might struggle with sin. And here's something about struggling with sin that is a good thing. It's when you give up. That's the bad thing. But if you're still struggling with sin, good, good, good. Keep going. Keep going. Bring people alongside. Get help. Keep struggling. That is good in God's eyes. You're not giving in and you're not giving up. Um, But yeah, repentance, that idea I'm repositioning and this is permanent. Those are things I think we can do on our own. Others of you who want the Holy Spirit more, that's something that's beautiful to be prayed for. So some of you, if that's you, I would suggest maybe coming towards this space here and we'll have some people gather around you again. Because why not keep asking? It seems like Jesus says to keep on asking, so let's do it. We did it last night. That doesn't mean we're finished asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And then, pleasure of God. If that's you as well, that's something it would be really good to get good friends alongside you to just pray into. But just start by saying what the truth is, declaring, God, I believe you're pleased with me. Help my unbelief. (laughs) Help me. Start with that.